Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So for this episode we're going to backtrack a couple of weeks to when I covered the Raoul Moat case and I mentioned that prior Raoul Moat there was another shooting in Cumbria and that's what kind of then made the Raoul Moat so like oh my god there's been two and I hadn't heard of this and I thought it was just going to be me and Sam that hadn't heard of this and then I found out actually not a lot of people have heard of this which is mental because in comparison to Raoul Moat I would actually say it's worse so anyway I'll get started this week I am telling you this case of the Cumbria massacre Samantha, does this case ring a bell or anything at all for you? Shock horror, no. Um, however, it does also <laughs> kind of ring a bell. But to be honest, yeah, let's stick with no because I have no idea. Probably rings a bell because I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. That's probably where you've heard it from because generally that's where I first yeah. heard it. <laughs> so I was the same. Um, okay, so as I said, it's the Cumbria Massacre, but it's the crimes of Derek Bird. So Cumbria is obviously where this is, and that's actually England's second largest county, and millions of people visit Cumbria a year. It's beautiful. Cumbria is a really lovely place. Um, it's in the northwest of England, and it kind of borders the Scottish council areas of Dumfries and Galloway and the Scottish borders. So Northumberland and County Durham are to the east, North Yorkshire is to the southeast, Lancaster is to the south, and the Irish Sea to the west. So that's where we are. Not that, that matters to anybody, basically. Um, it's beautiful. And Whitehaven is a coastal town, like a port town in Cumbria, and that's where our story is set. If you Google Whitehaven, it is beautiful. It's that typical, like, kind of seasidey town where it's right against a port and loads of boats it looks really really lovely but I I want to live by the sea so that's me why I link it to the Royal Moat case is because this was just a week or so before the Royal Moat case and the distance between Rothbury where the Royal Moat case happened and Whitehaven is just 100 miles so it's about two hours 20 minutes to drive so yes that's quite far but they kind of go along the coast of kind of Scotland together so that's why they were probably especially two gun crimes when I'll go on to the Scottish guns laws later but that's probably why they are connected there weren't anything to do with each other but it's two gun crimes in a very close area so as I said it's the start of June so it's June the 2nd 2010 is when Derek Bird went on a two-hour killing spree and traveled sorry over 52 miles so Derek Bird was known as Birdie and he was born in Whitehaven in November in 1957. So from what I can gather is he spent like his whole life in Whitehaven, which I kind of have mixed feelings about this when people stay in like their little small towns. Like I'm 27 and I've just moved out of Edinburgh. I've been in Edinburgh my whole life. But I feel that's different in a city. But as I'm saying, this town is tiny. But I feel like these small towns, that seems to happen. You either get out quite quick or you stay there for your whole life. His parents were Joseph and Mary and he had an older brother, Brian, and he was actually a twin. His twin was called David, so David and Derek, and the pair were well liked and quite similar when they were younger, but as he grew up, they were quite different. Now, the parents divorced and they spent a lot of time with their dad and they were doing shooting and fish, uh, fishing, very country boy life with your dad kind of vibe. Derek was quite introverted by like the point he got to a teenager, which was unlike David. David was sporty, he was well liked, whereas Derek kind of kept himself to himself. David had a huge farmhouse as well. He was a, a mechanic and became a very successful business contractor. So he had a huge, huge house. So 
as you can imagine, I think Derek was a bit jealous of this. He had a lovely wife and he had three daughters as well. Now, David did have a partner. Her name was Linda and they had a son, Graham, in 1982. Now, Derek worked in a large power plant called, um, I think it was called like Hellfield Nuclear Power Plant. plant sorry. Um, I don't really know much about kind of what goes on in power plants and obviously power but that's where he had worked so I think it was Sellafield I think it was but he worked there for quite a while and seemed to like it and um, he was sacked in 1990 as he'd actually stole materials from the power plant which was yeah ridiculous um so he then struggled to get a job because of this again small town you've been fired for theft in one of your jobs you're going to struggle to get another job so he became a self-employed taxi driver now Derek was under a lot of financial pressure and then he finds out that Linda is pregnant with her second child now at first he'd actually suggested Linda abort this due to the financial reasons but she was completely against it so they had another son Jamie in 1994 now, the couple split and it looked amicable to everyone outside, but really there was a lot of arguments involved and like kind of a lot involved a lot of fights. Let's say I don't think it was ever physical, but the police were called at some points. Derek was still involved as a dad and he did really love his sons and he really, really spent a lot of time with them. Now, Derek was really worried about financial pressure and almost embarrassed at the thought of failure. Now, he borrowed £20,000 off his dad in 1997. So £20,000 then is roughly £38,000 now. So in 1997, that's what that would have been worth. His dad died the following year and actually put in his will that if Derek hadn't paid the loan back, it was to be taken off his inheritance. So it's not like this loan died when the dad died. He put in his will, like he has borrowed £20,000 off me. So because of this, when they sold his dad's estate, blah, 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 Derek actually got nothing apart from what he'd already been loaned. Now, he says oh his father... Oh, my God. I'd be I know. <laughs> I know That's like you... the last hurrah for a parent to be like, fuck you, you're getting well, nothing. <laughs> well, I suppose, but then it's like, I don't actually know how much the dad was worth. So that could be that that was his like fair share or whatnot. But Derek had this feeling that it was because he was, like must have favoured his brothers, which... I don't think he did because he, he also loaned them £20,000. So I was a bit like, mm, I'm not sure. Now, Derek was, before I get into it, very normal. Like a very normal guy. A couple of drinks at the weekend. Looked after his mum who had a bit poor health. A dad kind of vibe that kept himself usual kind of person. Like nothing really stood out about Derek. And when we talk about these stories, like you're like, they killed animals as a child. They were a loner. They did all these weird things. And we're like, oh, that should have been a red flag. There wasn't any red flags with Derek. Derek was still a taxi driver, but he then started getting, I think, I honestly think it was undiagnosed anxiety. He started to get paranoid that people were stealing his fares, like other taxi drivers. So like, they would go and get a client or get a client to come in their tax instead of go to him, etc. He also thought other drivers were making fun of his personal hygiene and the cleanliness of his taxi. There was another driver, Darren, who actually slit Derek's tyres, forcing him to have to get new ones. Darren told people that this was harmless fun, but like, I'm all for a bit harmless fun, but I also think that's maybe too far. I don't know about you, Samantha, but there's harmless fun and then there's slitting someone's tyres. That'd be raging. I'm sorry, that costs a lot of money to replace. Like, I'm, I, I'm yep. due two new tyres. I've got a screw or a nail or whatever it is in one of mine. But if you just came round and slashed it, I'd still be fuming. I'd be like, you can pay yeah. for that. And especially when that car was his livelihood. So it's not like he's then like, oh, I need to get the bus to work. That's his taxi. Yeah, no, I don't think it's harmless. So in October 20. 20- 
October 20, October 2002, Derek was working in a town near Whitehaven. He was actually assaulted outside a nightclub. He was kicked in the face and had his nose broken. Now, all the charges were dropped because Derek didn't go to court. So the person was found, like, who done it? And it was going to trial, but Derek refused to go to court, so they had to drop it. Now, Derek had gone to his doctor about his mental health and said he got flashbacks, but his doctor said that his mental health was absolutely fine, even though Derek said he'd got flashbacks. Apparently, that happens after a traumatic event like that. They didn't say he had any anxiety. They said he didn't have depression. However, this paranoia about money, this continues on, which I'll go into in a wee bit. So we're kind of going forward to 2010 here, the year it happened, but he became a granddad in the month prior, in May 2010, and he absolutely loved it. He, he said he had a grandson, sorry, and he was absolutely in awe with him, just loved being a granddad. He was still worried about money and almost paranoid about money, I'm going to say. Now, he had got letters from HMRC asking for confirmation of his low declaration of income. Because he's self-employed, he has to declare, obviously, how much he's making every year. So they asked for confirmation because it was quite low in comparison to other taxi drivers. Now, this could be because it's somewhere like Whitehaven, where it's quite a small place, so he probably doesn't make that many fares. Or it could be that he was maybe doing something a bit dodge. But I genuinely don't have the answer for you. So that is just something you can think about. So he went to an accountant for advice and as he was so, so paranoid that he was going to go to jail. Now, he was reassured, but he actually started to think people were conspiring against him. He'd gone to see one of his best friends on the 1st of June and he was so, so anxious that he was going to go to jail. He was adamant. So his twin, David, steps in, tries to help him and they actually set up a meeting on the 2nd of June with him and a lawyer um, to go through like all what's going on and to speak about what was happening, speak to an accountant, etc., but Derek was so anxious that he thought this meeting had been set up, that the police were going to be there and arrest him. So he got in his head that he was like, nah, my brother David is going to take me there and the police are going to be there and I'm going to get arrested. So this is obviously the 1st of June that he starts getting paranoid about the meeting on the 2nd of June. So just after midnight on the 2nd of June, David... His twin is obviously asleep in his home. Derek accesses his house, so he comes in during the night and he shoots his twin brother 11 times. He dies at the scene, obviously, um, and then he just leaves. At 5.15, witnesses report a silver Picasso sat out on the road near Kevin Cummings' house. Now, Kevin Cumming was the solicitor that was going to meet him with David. So the solicitor, Kevin, he left his house that morning and saw that it was blocked around 10am. So when I said the Silver Picasso was sat out on the road, it was blocking the road. However, I think it was quite a quiet residential street that hadn't like caused much of a ruckus, but I think it just blocked the road. So obviously Kevin's in his car, a bit like, what, what's going on? Um, so the driver got out of the car and shot twice at um, the lawyer's car. Kevin's car um, and then actually hit his shoulder now Kevin obviously ran away and was shot twice again and then the driver just drove off and the driver was identified to be Derek now his neighbour so Kevin's neighbour Susan Mooney was a witness and went to another neighbour's house and called the police at just before quarter past ten when asked what happened she describes it quite clear in the call but she basically said quote I seen a fella running up the road and the other fella kept shooting the car was described, the car description got all a bit muddled and at one point it was described as like a taxi, a yellow taxi, but it wasn't. It was obviously, yes, it's a taxi, but it's a silver Picasso. Also, due to where this location was, it was near a rubbish waste centre. People shoot rats quite often up there. So this was deemed as low priority. Now, OK, I get that gunshots go off in that area quite a bit, but this woman has seen 
someone as she described in her call a fella shooting somebody so I don't get how you can mistake that for somebody at the rubbish shooting the rat so I don't know if there's just been a bit of miscommunication on this call so this obviously is his brother and the lawyer that Derek has shot dead which okay if you thought they were going to get the police to arrest you I don't understand but I can see where maybe the mindset was however what I'm about to tell you it does get quite brutal and you're probably going to think I'm finished multiple times but it just keeps going so at 10.25, Derek and his car turn up at the taxi rank on Duke Street in Whitehaven. So he puts down the window and summons over Dara Newcastle, who is the guy that slays tyres. And he's chatting to him through the window. And then Derek shoots Darren in the face and neck and then shoots him in the abdomen. So Darren dies there at the taxi rank. Derek then shot Donald Reed, another taxi driver, and he was shot in the back as he was trying to get away. He then managed to crawl on the floor to Darren and Derek got out of his taxi and shot him again. Now Derek drives off, but he returns and circles the taxi brink. So he keeps kind of going off, coming back and circling, going off, coming back and circling. He then shot Donald um, out of like a passenger window, um, but he missed. So he just kind of hit the, um, what's it called, the houses nearby. So he shot at Donald again, because obviously Donald, who was the second taxi driver to be shot that went to help Darren, obviously hadn't died yet. So we tried to shoot him again. So just after this has happened, by the way, Susan Mooney, back at the crime scene of the solicitor, has got a call from the police to basically get some more information. So she said they needed an ambulance, but was unable to get like confirm what the weapon was. She guessed it was an air rifle. Now, the ambulance eventually do turn up at Kevin Mooney's and they find him lying outside his house and he has died. It's classed as a murder, but at this point, it's classed as an isolated incident. So this hasn't been connected to his twin brother because his twin brother hasn't been found yet. And it's also not been connected to what's happening at the taxi rank. So at 10.31 is when armed responses arrive at Kevin's, at Kevin's house. So 500 yards away from the taxi rank, there's a taxi driver named Paul Wilson and he's walking through, like walking by, just walking past the street basically and Derek drives past and calls him over to the taxi again just to say hello and then Derek proceeds to shoot Paul in the face. Now Paul wildly survives this. I don't understand how he's shot in the face and he seems to be okay to be honest and Paul goes to the police and IDs Derek as the gunman. Now police are now aware of the issue at the taxi bank and try and keep out an eye for like this Picasso car that's going about. Now the police are actually told not to approach because it could be dangerous. So they say even if you find him, do not approach him because this could be really, really dangerous. Which I get that. Now a police van and a car actually find the Picasso, but they don't attempt to stop him. They just like follow him basically. However, Derek begins firing at another taxi driver, Terry Kennedy, as he drives past and he actually injures him and injures the passenger in the taxi, a woman named Amy Percival. He then shoots out the window to the police cars and he manages to drive away through the country roads and the police lose him. So by this point, he shot four members of the public and two have died in the last half hour. Now, the officers were slammed in the press for not trying to stop him at this point, but... I don't know, I guess they didn't have any weapons. So if you're going to try and stop him and pull him over, he's armed with a gun. We don't know what kind of gun it is. We're talking air rifle, is that a shotgun? We generally don't know. So I feel like the police stopping him would have actually been more silly. I don't know what your thoughts are, Sam, but I think like I do get why the police didn't just go and try and approach a gunman. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but then I also don't understand why they haven't got the armed police out looking for him. Because you know how we do have the armed police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were out. I think they were. Because um, obviously they had turned up to 
Kevin's house, remember the kind of armed response team goes to his. But I think it's just normal foot police that have found him. Right. So I don't know if they called for like backup and it just didn't get there on time. I'm not really sure. But also it is like the middle of nowhere. So where is the closest armed police? It's yeah, probably that's not true. in that town. So that's why I was thinking in Edinburgh they would be there in a flash, but actually it could be that they're like twenty minutes away or something. Yeah, and I ain't chasing after something with a gun. No, 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 no. So actually, moving on to that, armed response was deployed and was then sent to the last known location of him, which was Woodhouse Estate. Now, officers do go and try and find him, but if they find him, they have now been told that they can confront him. I don't think it'll be to try and detain him. I think it'll be very much like, oh, you can confront him and speak to him. Now, the helicopters are out and everybody is searching for him. At 10.37, an ambulance is told to attend the Duke Street taxi rank. So that's been a long time since that. Now, I will argue, though, that the ambulance department was also slated as they actually refused this job and didn't go to help as they were protecting their paramedics who could have been in danger. So this basically meant that police were having to give first aid on the scenes and were actually using police cars to transport people to the hospital. Now, this went to the review board and... They did agree that it would have been a risk, but they did need help. So, again, this is another kind of, what do you think, Sam? Because who was in the right there? Because an ambulance, like a paramedic's job, is obviously to, obviously to preserve life. But was it right that the paramedics didn't go to help because it was an active gunman? And obviously paramedics aren't armed. So, again, I get that from both sides. It's a catch-22, really. Um, like you, I... I... I get it from both sides and there's no point in throwing more people into the fire who are then going to be hurt because then who's going to save them. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously it's like, I guess you just don't know until you're in that situation. But I completely understand why the head or the boss or whoever it is wouldn't put their own men in danger at the same time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, eventually the ambulances are told to attend the taxi rank, which they do because the area has been cleared and de- cleared, sorry, and deemed safe from the gunman. Now, Derek Bird's knowledge of the area really helps him in avoiding the police. He is then seen by a dog walker, Jacqueline, at Old Rig, which is like an old farmland area. Now, he pulls up and asks for the time, which she tells him it's 10.50. She goes over to his car to start talking to him a bit more, but her dog starts pulling him away. She actually then sees the gun, so just kind of like slowly goes off with the dog, and she is fine. Five minutes later, a woman named Susan Hughes is walking down the road, and Derek pulls up in his car. He just shoots out the window and shoots her in the chest and the abdomen. Derek then got out, walks over to her, and shoots her at point black rage through the head. A minute later, at 10.54, Kenneth Fishburne was walking along the road as Derek's driving. Derek pulls up and shoots him in the neck. At 10.55, a minute later, he calls over Leslie Hunter and shoots him in the face and back from and back, sorry, from the passenger window. A negotiator is trying to call Derek, but Derek didn't take his phone. He actually left it at home, so the police and negotiators have no way of getting a hold of him. Now, as police hunt for him, he actually finds another target, which is a 15-year-old girl called Ashley Glaster. Now, she was asked for the time, and she saw the gun, and luckily she ducked, so she wasn't hit, which is a good thing. He then headed into Wilton and at 11am they got a call for David Bird in his home. So that is his first victim, his twin brother, has been found at 11am. So he was obviously dead at the scene. Now as he is driving along Derek, he stops and sees Gladys and Joseph Warbrick. They were unloading shopping from their car. Now he again puts the window down, stops and asks for the time. But luckily Joseph was busy so just shouted instead of going over. So he carried on. 
Now, the police began using websites, radio, direct calls, social media to warn the public to take shelter and to basically not go outside, almost putting the whole kind of area onto lockdown. Now, he was using single track roads to avoid the police. And as he was going along there, he killed Isaac Dixon, who was walking along the road and shot him twice at close range. Between 10.30 and 11, he had only gone for random people, and this continued. At 11.10, he arrived in Wilton and was looking for Jason Carey. Now, Jason Carey was part of the Solway Subaqua Club Committee. Now, that's a scuba diving group that Derek was in. However, it came out that Derek and the committee had all fell out over a use of the club's boat. Now, apparently, Derek had used the club's boat and he used it in an unsafe manner, so he'd then fallen out with everyone. However, Jason Carey seemed to be getting the blame for this, and witnesses said that Derek had held a grudge about this situation. Now, he pulled up outside Jason's horn, start, uh, Jason's house sorry, and starts beeping his horn. Jason was on night shift, so his wife, Deborah went to answer the door, but the dog actually started barking, so she decides to put the dog out the back, blah, 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 but Derek then gets impatient, so drives away. Now, he's obviously angry as he's gone there to get this target. Like, his route is kind of going through people that have wronged him. So he's thinking his brother's wronged him. He's thinking this solicitor's, solicitor's wronged him. He's now thinking this guy's wronged him. But he's just taken out basic normal people on his route. So as he's angry, he sees Jennifer Jackson walking along the road. He pulls up beside her and she's walking just to meet her husband. And he shoots her twice in the head and one in the chest. Her son, who was actually working nearby, heard the shots, but didn't realise it was his mum that was being shot. He drove past Town Ed Farm and shot two people who were standing talking outside the farm. Now, one of them was Christine Hunter Hall. She was shot in the back, puncturing her lung. And the second person was James Jackson. He was shot in the head. Now, James Jackson is Jennifer Jackson's husband, who he just shot. So she was walking to this farm to meet her husband, and they've both been shot. He actually then drove past... Jessica's body, uh, Jennifer's body again as he was heading towards the power plant. At 11.19, all officers were told he was emotionally and mentally stressed and to be careful when approaching him. Now, Gary Purdom was working in a local field and he was found with multiple wounds in the farm. I couldn't gather what happened. I'm assuming the usual kind of pulled up and shot him out of the window. James Clark was heading back to work at 11.25am and the car was shot at. Now, he was a real estate agent, so he was shown someone around the house and was walking back to his car to go back to the office. He had gunshot wounds to his head and his car had clear bullet damage. Harry Berger was driving on a narrow road, passing under a railway bridge, and Derek's car drove straight at him and he was shot twice, causing serious injuries. A convoy of three police cars actually passed Harry's car on the road and needed pass, so the public helped move the car by pushing it over. Now, this was actually filmed because people were not happy that three police cars and a convoy did not stay at the scene. So the only people at the scene with Harry are members of the public who have called the police, but the police do not stop. They keep going. Now, this was reviewed and because it was armed police, they were to apprehend Derek. So because they knew that the public were there looking after Harry, that's why they said they didn't stay. And apparently that was absolutely fine. So I, I get why they didn't stay, to be honest with you. At 11.30, Michael Pioch is cycling along the road and he's shot at twice. The second shot is fatal and he dies on the road. At 11.32, Jane Robinson was delivering catalogues and was shot in the head. Now, due to the wounds, we again don't know how close she got, but she must have been at close range due to the, how severe the wounds were. Now, he was driving erratically and police don't have eyes on him again. At 11.34, a woman named Jackie Lewis was found shot on the side of the road. She had a bullet in the head as well. However, she managed to survive. Now, Derek was driving into the village of Boot, but he didn't see anyone on his way because everyone's been told to now stay in. 
Fiona Morty was basically seen later on and she was a woman that was apparently on holiday so not really knowing and must have asked him for directions. Again went to the passenger window and was shot in the face causing serious injuries. Fiona managed to get away but collapsed near the back of his car. Now Derek puts the car into reverse and goes to reverse over her but he changes his mind and doesn't. By 12.40, um, by 12, sorry, 40 armed officers from Cumbria and Yorkshire are looking for Derek. So this is a huge amount of police presence. Similar to the Ryle Moat case, everybody is looking for Derek. Now, Derek arrived at Sims Travel, which is a business, and opened fire in this business. He, I think he kind of missed everybody because I didn't seem to find any injuries from that. He then shot a family, as in a family walking with young children, but he completely missed them. He's now becoming completely erratic and his behaviour is just all over the place. Nathan Jones and Philip Moore were leaving a campsite when he shot at them. Philip was uninjured, however, Nathan had bad facial injuries. Samantha Christie and her boyfriend Craig were travelling and they had stopped to take a photo. Now Derek pulled up and asked if she was having a nice day, so Samantha goes over to the window and he pulls out his gun and shoots her three times in the face. He orders her boyfriend to get in his car and drive away, and of course the boyfriend does because he's at gunpoint. He drives off and the gunman shot his car and luckily missed, Derek missed. Um, but he then stopped, the boyfriend Craig stopped and told the cyclists they saw, he warned them basically being like, don't go that way. However, they did. And that was Philip and Anne Law and they were fired at, but again, Derek missed. Now he was basically like driving like some sort of Grand Theft Auto right down this road. He was hitting parked cars, he was hitting walls and he actually eventually punctured a tyre because of this. So he abandoned the car. A group of holidaymakers actually came over to help him. I'm like, oh, we can help you with your car, but he declined. Now, police find the car and do a search on foot and end up going into a woodland nearby on foot. Now, during the search, they find Derek's body as he had shot himself. So after two hours and 50 odd miles, he had shot himself and took his own life. Now, obviously, the main question which we always ask when it comes to cases like this is like, why did he do it? And genuinely nobody knows he'd become really paranoid people were out to get him between his brothers and the taxi drivers he was worried about financial issues he was worried about his mum's health the inquest said they couldn't have identified him as a risk before this so as we said going back to realm if he was identified as a risk who, who lost their lives probably wouldn't have lost their lives you hear about these people as we said there's so many warnings and there's so many flags but there was nothing for Derek Derek's funeral is attended by over 100 people and amongst them is actually Paul, who was shot at. Now, some people didn't go, but some friends believe it wasn't him that done these crimes and it was something else entirely. There was a priest that presided the funeral and he described him as a nice, loving, caring man and said that on that day, it must have been another man, not him. Now, when I'm discussing people thinking it was someone else, I'm not saying they think it was a complete different person. They believe it was Derek, but they don't believe it was Derek, if you get what I mean by that. Now, his friend Keith Wilkinson, who had known him since primary school, spoke at the funeral and discussed how quickly he had changed, saying, quote, it begs the question, could it happen to any one of us? A family friend read out a statement on behalf of his sons, like Derek's son, saying he was many things to many people, but to us, he was just dad. He was a loving and caring family man, well known and well respected. We will never understand what was going through his mind on Wednesday, the 2nd of June. We're utterly devastated by his actions. So all his family and friends are grieving the loss of him as well, but in such a strange way of they don't know what happened. They believe it was some sort of mental health crisis or something that nobody saw coming. Now, so many people in this small town were affected that day in the neighbourhood as there were so many victims. 
everybody knew somebody so everyone was grieving in their own ways if they weren't grieving for Derek they were grieving of somebody like it was that everyone was connected in this case an example is like there was a 999 operator who was working that day and was actually recognized for being so competent on the day as her husband was working that day as the ground police looking for him and her parents were also in Whitehaven with their young baby and her brother was one of the targets that was shot at but he managed to miss it so that's one person that's connected to so many different people here now, I know I've spoke a lot, a lot at you, um, but I just kind of want to list the names of the injured and the names of the people that unfortunately lost their life. So injured was Donald Reed, Paul Wilson, Terry Kennedy, Emma Percival, Emma Hunter, Christine Hunter-Hall, Harry Berger, Jacqueline Lewis, Fiona Moretti, Nathan Jones and Samantha Christie. So that is 11 people that were injured. He then killed 12. David Bird, his twin, Kevin Commons, Darren Newcastle, Susan Hughes, Kenneth Fishburn, Isaac Dixon, Jennifer Jackson, James Jackson, Gary Purden, James Clark, Michael Pike and Jane Robinson. So that was 23 people injured or killed by him in two hours. Now, obviously, I think what makes this more shocking is gun crimes do not happen in the UK. Obviously, go way back to our Dunblane episode. That's why guns were banned in the UK. And at first I was like, like you always hear that whole thing of we shouldn't have a gun. But actually, the UK, we have some of the strictest gun licenses in the world. You have to have a license. And to apply for a license, you have to have proof of ID. You have to have references. You have to have approval from a doctor. You have to have your premises where you plan on keeping your firearm inspected. You must have a full interview. You must have a full background check. And this is only five years. And then after five years, you have to do it all over again and all over again. So it takes a lot. And Derek had gone through all this and was proven absolutely fine to have a gun. And he used it for the shooting like he did with his dad when he was younger. So he just snapped. And I generally don't know what happened. And nobody does, really. So I think that's what makes this more wild. um, That it just kind of happened so, so quickly. Um, Because as people had said, as his friend said, in his funeral, like... It could happen to any one of us because he was genuinely fine, which sounds crazy. And then this happened. So obviously he then dies on the 2nd of June. And an exact week later, on the 9th of June, is when Raoul Mott died. So that's how close we're talking these two cases were for such a small area. So there you go, Samantha. That is the Cumbria massacre. Thoughts? That was what, like... I wasn't expecting any of that at all. And I'm also very, very shocked that I've never heard any of it. Like, yeah. at all. The amount of people that died and that the fact is, like, Raul Mo, he went after police. So, like, yeah, you can understand the huge media with that. But then this one, he went after random people. He just shot them dead. For no reason, like, yeah, he was probably a severely mentally ill man and he had had enough and snapped. But the fact is, like, why have we not heard of this? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, also, just with regards to our gun laws, like, I know this was a while ago, well, not too long ago, it was only about 10 years ago or so, but only a couple of years ago, I offered to buy my brother a shotgun licence. Um, that sounds very Tory of me. But it's because fuck? he does it with air cadets. Like, he's not, like, he just, anyway, he's good at shooting. So, even so, to get it, 
it was a 30 page plus form mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. fill out loads of money like in the end he chose not to do it you need your own house you need to have a solid safe that's connected to a brick wall practically like one that you can't drill through to put your gun in then you need a separate storage unit for your ammunition like to talk about the gun laws being strict like they are strict as hell and for this to still happen like it's it's just heartbreaking but and crazy yeah absolutely and I think the reason it sticks out so much as well is because we don't have gun crimes over here which I know that sounds really really silly but we hardly have any gun crimes that you can talk about like the three main gun crimes is this one you've got the Dumblane school massacre and then there was the Hungerford massacre as well which had happened I think that was a few years I think that was 1987 or something um but that's it like you can name those three because we don't have regular shootings and I think normally like do you know if we go back to Dumblane there was a target and there was a reason whereas this there was yeah there was targets yeah there was reasons but then he just went rogue and I think that is just the like the main part of the story that got me is like he just shot people that were walking in the street. Like that's insane. But yeah, I think because of the limelight Raoul Moat got for some reasons that were acceptable, some reasons like Gaza turning up were not acceptable. But I think that's why this case, people didn't even have enough time to grieve this case before another shooting happened, which because that was more of a manhunt and a hostage negotiation, not in a hostage. I kept calling it a hostage and I've done that again. What was that again? The negotiation thing. Why did he do it? Oh my god! All I'm thinking now is hostage. Uh, oh, what is the word? It was like a negotiation, like standoff thing. Oh, I can't remember, yeah, but yeah, not I think like because style, but no, oh, I can't remember what it was. But because it was live broadcast on the news and everything, I think that just completely took over. Whereas this crimes, people didn't realize they were happening when they were happening. Whereas Ralph Moat was very much in contact with the police, very much in contact with the media, so that was everywhere. Whereas this was two hours. Which I can't believe it was two hours. Two well. hours. The way you're talking, like earlier, it was like, okay, this has gone on for. But then you ages. saw that he was actually shooting people like every minute. Yeah, it's it just unbelievable. Yeah, I'd like to know other people's thoughts as well. So do message us if you have Instagram. And if we don't, well, we don't have an email, so sorry. <laughs> but we do appreciate you your thoughts on it but you just can't tell us them <laughs> tell a friend <laughs> tell a 